You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, it's Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. So you know what that means. It's the much-anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris, sir, a lot of people ask me what I'm going to be doing in a couple of years. I'm like, dude. It's not like I got 2020 vision. Thank you. Yes, as brutal as always. Uh, thanks to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, that little uh, little rock and roll band that just made one of the biggest tours of all time happen last year. Uh, thanks to Duff for bringing the laughs with a collection of bad jokes. But in today's case, it's actually pretty funny. I enjoyed it. Uh, speaking of funny, thanks to Scott Ian from Anthrax for having me over to his house in L.A. recently to talk all about his new autobiography, Access All Areas, Stories from a Hard Rock Life. It's a hard rock life. The book has some great, great tales in it. Scott's going to share some of those with us today. Day, like the years he spent as a professional poker player, bet you didn't know that. How he, how he became such a Kiss fanatic, what it was like going to his first ever Kiss concert. Great story in the book about that. He's talking about the Anthrax controversy after 9/11, whether they should have changed their name, and the whole basket full of puppies name change that got picked up as a legit story by CNN. Uh, Scott's also talking about ACDC and the recently deceased Malcolm Young who was a big influence on Scott as a musician and a player. Scott actually has Malcolm Young's face tattooed on his arm. And what he thought about Axl Rose touring with him after Brian Johnson left the band. I was there with Scott in, uh, in Madison Square Garden when he saw ACDC. Great stuff coming with the always amazing guest, Scott Ian. Uh, speaking of amazing, I want to thank Steel Panther for the best tour of our career. Uh, we had such a great time, Fozzie and Steel Panther. It was such a great mix. Hopefully, we get to do more in the future. Steel Panther fans know how to have a good time, as do Fozzie fans. It was a match made in heaven. And speaking of a good match, how about the Judas Rising 2018 U.S. Tour through fire, Santa Cruz, Dark Sky Choir, and Fozzie joining forces on the road, kicking off February 28th in New Orleans, March 1st, Houston, March 2nd, Dallas, March 3rd, Lubbock, March 4th, El Paso, plenty more dates, Tucson, Phoenix, San Diego, L.A., Las Vegas, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Milwaukee, Chicago, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Dayton, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Clifton Park, uh, New York, New York, Philadelphia, Portland, Maine, Hampton Beach. So many dates. Go to FozzyRock.com. As a matter of fact, if you want to watch WrestleMania with me and you're in the New Hampshire, Hampton Beach area, come to the Fozzy Show at Wally's. It's earlier in the day. We finish just before WrestleMania kicks off, and then I'll be staying there to watch WrestleMania with all of you. Go to FozzyRock.com for all info and for all VIP meet and greet info as well. 
We got one of the best VIP meet and greets in the business because we play a mini concert for all of you. We meet you, we greet you, we even retweet you if you want it. Uh, lots of great stuff. Go to FozzyRock.com. Uh, so far, actually, VIPs are getting close to sell out. Uh, I know that New York City and New Orleans are getting close to sell out. So if you want to go to Fozzy VIP and meet me and the band, go to FozzyRock.com now. And if you want to hear some great stories from Scott Ian's life on the road with Anthrax, he's going all access with you right here on Talk is Jericho. Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever rock and wrestling rager at sea. Picture this. Rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018 from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Okay, so um, we are here in the uh, house of Scott Ian. Yes, which is really cool, and it's uh, it, it, it's 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 always cool to come into somebody's house and like see all the posters on the wall, right, and that sort of stuff, you know. And uh, it's funny because I, I get a real, you know, whose house is kind of like this. Have you ever been to Sebastian's house? Never been to Sebastian. It's kind of similar. It's, it's like open with all the stuff on the wall, uh-huh. except for you have your son here, and he's in iPad time, where Sebastian just let his son be a part of the interview, which drove me crazy. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> like, and also, you wanted to turn down the music. He actually insisted on listening to his album. While you were while doing the we interview. While did our interview. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Well, I figured we'd... If I would hate for it to be a thing like where the Beatles are on the background, then all of a sudden it's like you need to get clearance to use the <laughs> right, right, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, how much is it going to cost to get Hey Jude in the background? But it's funny though because Charlie and I uh, and Portner actually we have our little Fab Three text messaging group thing. Right. Are you a big Beatles guy too? Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, I just I don't know. I I guess I'm not as vocal about it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but yeah, we pretty since Sirius added the. Oh, Beatles channel. channel. It's just we just leave it on. It's all I ever listen to. That's now. all we listen to. It's all the interviews and stuff. And yeah, the covers and the influences. They just asked me because I'm going to New York this week for book promo, and uh, so I have my whole day at Sirius. You know, you go through every mm-hmm. channel, and uh, so they said, "Do you want to come on the Beatles channel? Are you a fan?" I'm like, "What kind of question is that?" <laughs> first of all, like who who isn't? But and then you know you go do this thing and you pick your Fab mm-hmm. Four. The Fab Four, right? Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, of course I'll do it. And then I'm so analytical when it comes to that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I've been spending the last week trying to pick four Beatles songs. It's impossible. I said to Pearl this morning, how could I? I couldn't. It would be hard to pick 20 Beatles songs. Yes. Yeah. Let alone four. Mm-hmm. At least it's not one. Well, you know, the, the way that I did it is just I just picked four that came in my mind that I thought were cool. Right. Because if you try and put too much time, there's no way. I know. I, there's I, no way. I went right off the, the just immediately. I was like, "Hey, bulldog," because it some weird way it's my that and help are my two favorite. Okay. Beatles songs, oddly enough, and they both begin with H E. I don't know what that's <laughs> nice, means, but uh, um, so hey, bulldog and help. Those were easy. I knew I wanted to play those, but then picking the other two because like well do i pick something from the early years do i go like how do i do i, I have how could i not have something from sergeant pepper mm-hmm. or where do i go like with something off a of rubber soul revolve like just i was like yeah so then i went with just two earlier songs and i, I think i'm going with uh, i saw her standing there and this boy once again, you can't go yeah, wrong with any exactly. of those ones. I love Hey Bulldog as well. It's a very um, underrated Beatles tune and a very heavy one too. Like I, I have mm-hmm. a theory 
that you know the Beatles, not even a theory, just kind of a thought that the Beatles they've cre- they created so many different genres of music, right. including heavy metal. Yeah, they were the first band playing. I mean, there was who had a few things, but if you listen to a song like "Hey Bulldog" mm-hmm. or um, uh, "I Want You," she's so heavy. Yeah, yeah, that was just on about twenty minutes. It's ago. so. I mean, that could be a Sabbath tune. Yeah, it's that heavy. Yeah. You know, the, the beginnings of, of heavy music is, definitely is in that, that, oh, absolutely. that time frame. And you, know? you could hear sometimes, too, you know, they were listening to everything that was going on around them as well, what other bands were doing at the time. So sometimes you could, I feel like almost like something like, you know, especially uh, heavy, it's like, well, they were probably listening to when? When was that? Sixty-seven, eight? Or which song? Bulldog or no uh, time frame? About sixty-eight. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what? What could they have been listening to? Was Cream already had a record out? Right? They did. Yeah, I know and, that when the Who did, I can see for miles. Right. That um, they had read in the music magazine or something. It's the heaviest song ever recorded. It's super mm. heavy. And Paul's like, "That's not heavy. I'm going to write something heavier." Uh, and they did Helter Skelter. Wow. You want heavy? Okay. I'll give you heavy. That's you know? great. Which I still love because he plays that in concert to this day, and it's still like Metallica level heavy when right. he plays. Yeah, yeah he yeah. still has that power to be like, "Oh yeah, let me show you some tricks, kids." You know? Yeah, I love that Molly Crew song. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever run into to Paul or Ringo at all anywhere? I've never met Ringo. I, I got to meet Paul. That's pleasant. <laughs> I got to meet Paul after the concert. For nine eleven in New York, oh, remember yeah, that yeah. there was that big light, big show, and, right. and uh, the firefighters and the cops, and, and then at the after party, I uh, was with Lon Friend, and um, for those of you who don't know who that is, he was the guy behind Rip magazine in the eighties and nineties and all kinds of other stuff. But I was with Lon, and uh, we're at this party and we're talking. I believe we're standing there like talking to Rick Krim, who at, was the head of talent at MTV and VH1, and like just talking about the night and whatever. And uh, at some point, John Bon Jovi comes over. <laughs> and he had performed that night as well. And we're talking to him. And I had met him ages before that at Donington in 87. We played together. So we you know, we knew, enough, knew each other enough to say, hi, how are you? What, what a crazy night. And immediately, we're all talking about Paul McCartney because what a big deal. You know, it was Paul McCartney was playing. And, and cut to in walks Paul McCartney with whoever's with him and... and John obviously had met him and knew him already, so he he was kind enough to introduce Paul to the rest of us. He's like, "Oh, hey, Paul, have you met Scott from Anthrax and Lon Friend?" And <laughs> and I'm just like, "Wow!" And I'm I'm like shaking his hand, and he's oh, very nice to meet you, you know. And I'm shaking his hand, and then he turns around and he looks at Lon, and he's like, "Oh, nice to meet you too," but he's still shaking my hand. And then he starts to talk to Bon Jovi. And he's still shaking my hand. And I'm figuring, well, I'm not going to let go. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm holding on. Maybe something's <laughs> going to rub off. Like, So we shook hands for like two minutes. As he, and then finally he let go and just stood there and talked for another two minutes or so. And then, you know, made you know made the rounds around the room. But I was like, holy God. He walked away and we were all just staring at each other like, oh, my God. Paul McCartney. I was like, does Paul have any idea? who anthrax is or any type way shape or form i know right i mean you gotta figure in all modesty at some point especially maybe around that time mm-hmm. around the 9-11 time when the name of the band was in the papers and on the news a lot right somehow maybe that came into his radar that there was a heavy metal band called anthrax i mean there's a story in in the book about how when i, I meet steven spielberg and 
even he had heard of Anthrax, and he he made sure to tell me, I, I've never heard your music, <laughs> of course, but I I know the name of your band and that you play heavy metal. Like I'm, a, it's I know that it's within the the pantheon of 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 what he is least to be experienced or right. something. It's funny, just a quick segue. Adrian Smith told me he met uh, Paul once, McCartney. And um, he was like, uh, yeah, I'm Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. He's like, oh, Iron Maiden, you're the band with the monster. <laughs> and so he's like, that's not too bad. At least he knows that we have a monster. Yeah. <laughs> but it's talking about Anthrax. Is that a backhanded compliment? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you're talking about Anthrax as a band name. Definitely to this day, one of the best band names like there's only 10 great band names in the world only 10 well most of them are not great you know mm. i mean you know iron maiden is pretty cool anthrax is cool um i always say like let's take away all the bands we know they don't exist they've never existed mm -hmm. all these bands with names like judas priest iron maiden whatever on and on if those bands didn't exist now and you were sitting around trying to come up with a band name, would those names be cool right. without the, yeah, sure. the context? Yeah, I always say, like, you know, like when we started with Fozzie, it's like, that's kind of a peculiar name. Well, so is Metallica. So is Kiss. Yeah, Kiss. Hey, you and me, let's form a band called Hug right. with two Gs. I know. But if it gets over and becomes popular, of yeah, I'm going to go see Hug or Def Leppard. Yeah, I that know. That could be I know. the worst name. There's, the, Halloween. there's so many that are terrible. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Just awful, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Black Eyed Peas. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> there's the Megadeth. Like, that's terrible. I know. You could start a band called Roast Beef Sandwich, and if it... <laughs> became big it's we're gonna go see the sandwich tonight yeah. right we're gonna go see rbs <laughs> how did you guys think of anthrax um it was actually danny looker who i went to high school with and uh he one day told me we're like we would walk to school and walk home uh, to school together every day and uh one day he just brought up that he learned about this thing called anthrax in school and i was like what is that he goes it's some highly infectious you know, spore and, and all this. And like, anthrax, anthrax, that sounds like a good band name because we were always talking about bands. He was already in a band called White Heat and they were like big enough at the time where they would play gigs in the city mm -hmm. and uh, which was amazing with their own music, like playing originals. And uh, he was like 16 or something. And, um, but I always used to say to him, after that point, when we learned about Anthrax, and I told him, I said, that would be a great band name. You know what? When White Heat breaks up, we're going to form Anthrax. Mm -hmm. And he, oh, White Heat, we're not, not going to break up. Well, of course, eight months later, they broke up, and we started Anthrax. So, yeah. But, yeah, he learned about it in school, and it just rang in my head because everyone in the neighborhood where we grew up, everyone had a band, and they all ended in ER, the ER band. So you had... And they were all like Judas Priest songs, Ripper, you know, Killer or uh, <laughs> Striker. Yeah, Seducer. <laughs> like just, it was all the ER names all across Queens and Brooklyn. And we always, I just, I always felt like I don't want to be an ER band. There's mm -hmm. enough of those already. So yeah. Anthrax just stuck. An X band. Yeah. And with X. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. When you mentioned, though, because there was some controversy around that time frame with the 9 11 about, you know, at some point, people were sending anthrax to office buildings and stuff like that. Right. And you guys kind of got caught up in that a little bit. I remember you used to wear jumpsuits saying, like, <laughs> we are not changing our name. And all that, that was at Eddie's. Uh, right, yeah. That was at Eddie's show. He did the New York Steel Benefit. And it was us and Ace Freely and Overkill and uh, Twisted Sister. Twisted Sister, yeah. right. That's right. It was their first time playing together in like a long time mm -hmm. or something. And, and 10 um, years or something. Yeah. And uh, so that night, we, because. 
all that stuff had was going on already, the anthrax stuff. And every day, the headline in every newspaper, Daily News, New York Times, I'd be walking past newsstands in the city, and it would always catch my eye. I'd see the name of the band, and then, oh, yeah, it's not us. It's the other <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and all over the news, and it was just constant, constant, constant. And, and uh, so we just figured this will make a statement. And all these media outlets wanted to talk to us about it. You know, the Wall Street Journal, like the New York Times, all these giant media outlets were hitting up our publicists at the time to do an interview. And I was dead set really against talking about it because my attitude was, uh, oh, I had a couple of different attitudes towards it. But my main thing was we have nothing to do with this. Like I wanted to keep us as separate as possible, even though we had the same name. You know, what do, we have nothing to say. We're a metal band that entertains people. We write songs and have fun. Like, this has nothing to do with us. And you know what? In a few months, this story is going to go away. And like, and then I also felt like, are you going to review our album? Like, are you going to, is the New York Times going to interview us yeah. when we have an album coming out? No. Right. So um, we just like really wouldn't talk to anyone. And we figured that night at New York Steel, we could make a statement. So we, we got these white painter jumpsuits and, and it said, each one of us, it said, we are not changing our name. And, we walked out and, you know, it was very like 1960s protests. We just, the start of our set, we just walked on stage and stood there at the front of the stage for like a solid three minutes, just standing there and the crowd went crazy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was our big protest moment. Like, I remember you said something like, what do we want us to do? Change our name to a basket full of puppies? <laughs> yeah, I had, I had actually posted, I used to write like a blog. Uh, I think it was on the Anthrax site. I would write like a little column once a week or something. And I wrote a thing saying how, you know, the fact that I even have to make a joke about this, this, this is the world we live in now, you know? And, uh, but I had said in a thing like, okay, we've made a big decision. We're changing the name of the band. We're now going to be called Basketful of Puppies. And then I went on to say the fact that I even am joking about this sucks, you know, that this is the planet we live on now and all that. And within 24 hours, I was watching CNN, and on the ticker on the bottom, it came across the ticker. It actually said, heavy metal band Anthrax changes name to Basketful of Puppies. <laughs> so they reported it as fact <laughs> after. So maybe there is something to this whole fake news <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I was going to ask you, too, you talk about wearing the, the coveralls, but even to this day, you guys always wear kind of a, a uniform. Anthrax yeah. says, where did that idea come from? Because it's been like that for the to, last 10 years or so. To really just dumb it down to where we don't even have to think about what to wear <laughs> on stage. Mm. And we, we just, you know, we've never been a band that had like a, a necessarily an image. You know, we don't, we don't look like, like Judas Priest has a look. You know, Iron Maiden has a look. Molly has a look. Van Halen, like bands have... We were always in the 80s. We had a look. We were the shorts and T-shirts guys. And then that went away at some point. And I I still wear shorts. I never stopped wearing shorts. Granted, I'm not wearing jams that are too short on me. Terrible, right? That, yeah. Well, that's that's that the shorts the people wore in the 80s. Yeah. But uh, it would be really if I really was committed and I just stuck to those shorts since the <laughs> 80s. But uh, we just figured at some point, let's instead of just looking like a bunch of dudes that met at a bus stop – Let's at least have some type of uniform, you know, because we kind of look at it. We've always looked at it as a job, as this. We go to work. We're a blue collar band. This is what we do. 
And uh, so we kind of looked at it in that kind of blue collar industrial sort of way. Like, you know, guys wear uniforms to go to work mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of different, you know, jobs out there on this planet. So we figured let's make something. And our friend Kenichi in Japan, who's a, a toy designer and clothing designer, and he started making these shirts for us. They started as T-shirts with just the thraxagram symbol on it. And we would all wear the same T-shirt on stage. And then that graduated to like these button, short sleeve button downs with stuff on them. And, and uh, so like every run we get in, basically we get a new shirt made mm-hmm. for every run. We're all wearing our own bottoms yeah. <laughs> basically. But everyone generally wears the same shirt. But Joey kind of broke out now. And Joey will pick one of the shirts that we're selling Lately, he's been actually wearing the War Dance beer shirt. That's become his shirt of choice for the touring. So, but you'll have the, which kind of looks cool because it's it makes him stand out. And then you have the four of us all kind of wearing your wearing our thing. And I I think it it just works well. And it takes all the, you know, there's also that thing sometimes with bands where maybe there's you got a bunch of dudes in the band, and then there's you know look a certain way, and then there's one dude wearing something, and you're like, yeah. Is that is that what you're wearing on stage? Yeah, yeah. You're gonna change, right? Right. And uh, it takes all of that mm. uncomfortable conversation out of the out of the picture. You said we have a rule. We that old bass player I had to make a rule: no Levi's on stage and no watches. <laughs> you can't wear your watch while you're playing, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's not with us anymore. But, <laughs> but Anthrax was kind of a, a pioneering in a lot of ways for that sort of thing. Like you mentioned, the shorts band, right? Uh, first band to have a guy with shave his head uh-huh. and a beard i mean that was not a thing you were the first guy i can think of that did that was there somebody before that you knew well iomi always had a beard no but i'm and, talking uh, about shaving your oh head. um no i in metal i might be the first mm-hmm. one i mean it, you, you could say i guess you could nitpick and say ozzy shaved his head that, that was, for that he moment drunk. yeah <laughs> he shaved his head and then grew it right back yeah but um uh, in metal, I might, I, it's safe to say I might be the first. I mean, there's obviously tons of dudes in punk and hardcore, but in metal, I was probably the first. I remember ages ago, like, even, like, Anselmo telling me, like, in 92, you know, because, hey, I remember him, like, grabbing me. Well, you you did it first, brother, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. And I was like, did what? I didn't even know what you were talking about. But, uh, and even the beard thing. I, I, there's photos of me in 86, even where I had, I had started growing. I used to grow from my lip and it started from my lip down. And yeah. So basically from like 86 on, I've had something going on on my face and, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. And of course the, I shaved my head in I first, when I first shaved it, this is super interesting. <laughs> when I first shaved it, I left the ponytail. It was kind of that thing like where, <laughs> You know, I'm not quite all yeah, in yeah. yet. I think there's somebody just put a, a thing up on uh, Instagram from Belly of the Beast video. Uh-huh. Where yeah. you're running for no apparent reason. You've got this little yeah. back ponytail. So I would keep this little rat tail Hare braid. Krishna thing, yeah. Yes. It was like, and it's so dumb because I would think about it and go, it's not like I'm going to grow my hair back. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like it's not like I'm growing the, like, it's, it's, I'm done. <laughs> Why? And, and then finally, I, I finally, like, it, after a few months, it was just fine. Like, this is so dumb. I have this. Because even Charlie had the big rat thing. tail in the back, you yeah. know, when you first cut your hair. Yeah. It's hard, though. Like, I, when I first cut it, I cut it, like, shorter and shorter and shorter. And you get that horrible looking, right. too long to be short stayed. And they just cut it off. It's like, why didn't I just go from long to short? It's when, hard. When I, when I shaved my head, even when I still had the, the little rat tail in the back, 
at least, you know, from the front, you couldn't see it. And I remember thinking, like, why didn't I do this ages ago? It was so, yeah, yeah. it just felt so good. And I felt like I looked better without the hair. Right. And I started losing my hair early. Like, probably, I, I remember noticing it probably even on, like, Among the Living when I was 23, 24. Because um, I would see videos of us. And when I'd be headbanging, I could see landscape up here on top. <laughs> like, and when I'd headbang, I'd be like, whoa, what's up with that? Like, yeah. I'm, how am I... You know, how am I, and I? I remember I was thinking about shaving my head like as early as that. And Billy Milano actually talked me out of it at one point. I think there was a point we we're doing something like around that time, 86, 87. And I was like, I'm going to shave my head. He's like, no, you're not. You know, I'm like, yeah, I really. He goes, no, that's bullshit. You're just doing it, you know, to fit in somewhere else. Be yourself. Keep your long hair, you know. And that's when he shaved not on my chest. <laughs> I had the clippers. Like, I was like, will you help me do this? He's like, you're not shaving your head. And then he, that that was his response, basically, to <laughs> me shaving my head. He goes, come here. And he, like, shaved not on my chest. <laughs> but that was the thing, though. In the 80s, you had to have long hair if you were in a metal band. Yeah. That's just the way it was. Yeah. You couldn't, like, I always felt bad, like, for Saxon. Like, you know, like the Biff had long hair, but the other guys had like no hair, short hair or the Scorpions. Like the Scorpions made it cool, though, because they were, you know, the Scorpions. But like if you saw a band like Saxon, it's like automatically they weren't as good as other bands that had long hair because they didn't have long hair. Right. Which is weird. Steve Dawson. Steve. Poor Steve. (laughs) Yeah, he had the he had the total. Is it true? I mean, I suppose we could Google it, but I've always heard the story that Harry Shearer based his character in Spinal Tap on Steve Dawson. Well, the band apparently is based on Saxon as a whole. Right. Although Biff will deny it until the cows come home. Right. They had nothing to do with it. But I think so. Like, you see you see Derek that. Smalls. I Derek, took me a Derek second. Smalls. Yeah, yeah. He does kind of look like Steve Dawson yeah. from Saxon, doesn't he? Yeah. Right? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's funny because you got so many stories to tell, which I love because you are very similar to me after being on the road for so many years. And you wrote your first book, I'm the Man, which was great. So right. many stories left over, and here you go with Access All Areas, which is, once again, kind of like every chapter is a bite-sized uh, experience that you've had. What was the idea behind writing this book? Well, I had so many more stories. And when I was working on the autobiography and, you know, thinking about, okay, well, this happened then and this happened then and this happened then, and I would have these lists of stories and ideas and and uh, I would find that, all right, well, if I get into this now, then how do I get back to here? Right. You know, because obviously the autobiography is it's chronological. It's, yeah, there's a narrative It's to a it. tale, right. Yeah. There's, this, there's this thread. And there's certain things that maybe take you kind of on a short tangent as you're reading it. But in general, it's, you know, me from birth until whenever the book ends, like Yankee Stadium, I think I'm the man ends after that big four show. So I had all these other stories that just really didn't fit into the flow. Like my my poker story, for instance. You know, I spent four, five years playing poker professionally. A lot of people don't know that. And it's it's almost, 
it's close to 70 pages of story. I even did it as two parts in right. the book. And, you know, so in the, in the autobiography, that, that there would have been 70 pages of this. All of a sudden, you're in this other, like, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, wait, what, what's happening here? Like, 70 pages of poker. Like, it just wasn't going to work in, in that context. So that's really like, and a lot of these, too, weren't even thought. I, I wasn't even thinking of these stories when I was writing that book. It was afterwards when I knew. I was like, I think I may have a second book. You know, I have four or five of these stories. What other stories did I ha- do I have? And I started making a list of tales. Every once in a while, I would think of, oh, yeah. And I would literally, like, write down, like, a Kirk's door, you know, or, like, and I would just start compiling. And then I asked my editor, uh, hey, I, I've, got, I've got an idea, you know, a book of short stories. And uh, he goes, it sounds great. Have you tell your agents to, to pitch it. And, and that was it. I got a second book. And, and uh, based on like a one page, you know, short little Synopsis. thing. Yeah. And because uh, the first book did well enough. Basically, you want the honest truth. The first book did well enough to enable me to get to a, second book. a second one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was super excited. And then, of course, th- then you have to write it. And, <laughs> and, and then it was a year of. It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. It's really hard. And, uh, you know, on, my, on I'm the Man, I had written about 100 pages probably of stuff. And then that's when I started working with John Wiederhorn to help me get it together and, and put the autobiography together. I had never done that before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he was a big help when it came to that. This one I did all on my own. And it was just me writing. And it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. It, it's really it breaks your brain sometimes and you think it's so you know I've, i know all these stories i've got them all in my head i could tell these stories i could go on stage and tell them to an audience or to a friend in a bar no problem and they'll be super exciting and funny and interesting and i could tell the shit out of them but to write it you you quickly discover well you don't have the phys- you're not there physically so you don't have the physicality hand right. motions and you yeah, don't have the physicality the and you don't have vocal dynamics mm-hmm. when you're writing you have Fair to point. you have to figure out how to put all this into the written word how to get how to be able to write it the same way you tell it mm-hmm. and get all that energy and dynamics in there you just using words right. and punctuation yeah. and capital letters like it's <laughs> it's a trip and so i'd be writing these stories and going this isn't this isn't coming across at all. Like, I don't think people, who cares about this? I could tell it, but this is, it feels boring to me. And mm-hmm. it took, it took a while for me to really kind of find the groove on how to, how to be able to tell a lot of these stories, writing them rather than speaking them. And cause people say, Oh, you're, you've done all these talking shows. It must help so much. Like, no, it doesn't help at all. It, it's such a different animal for me anyway, in my brain. Um, because writing it, it it's so much different than telling it. Well, and you had a great point too. Like when you're telling it, you can have the, the benefit of timing, the comedic mm-hmm. timing that you can use, vocal dynamics, uh, impressions, Ex- whatever. You expressions, want to everything. Yes, everything. You have all of all of those tools mm-hmm. to use. When you're writing, you only have your words. Yeah, and but, that's it. But you, your writing is a lot like mine, which I really appreciate. Um, in that, like you'll use little references. Like for example, you're talking about maybe you had a really bad hangover. It's like you're getting hit in the head with Molnier. Uh, right. If you know what that is, it's funny. If you don't, you're just moving on to the next thing sure you're peppering it full of like jokes, pop culture references, pop culture references. Yeah. i always try to make my uh, books like an episode of the family guy right 
if you get it, it's hilarious. If you don't, it sure. comes and goes so quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, I, 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 I feel the same way. It's like I, I want to keep people engaged. I want to keep them hooked. I want to just keep things keep things moving. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want it to move. And, uh, and I, I feel like, you know, that's, that's what both books we've been able to do that on both books is just, it, they move really well. And it's funny too, because you have a lot of stories about different people, different famous people, different walks of life. Right. And, and so do I. And that's just like you said, like when you go through traveling and all this different stuff, you meet different people. And I always have people go, oh, yeah, geez, Jericho sure has dropped a lot of names. You're not dropping a name. If there's a story to tell about exactly, it. that's yeah. the difference. You know, so tell us about some of the the, the, the interesting people that you, that you've met that you talk about in the book. A- Access all areas is what it's called, by the way, that you might not expect because there's a lot of them in here. Well, me of course being the most interesting person, and then everyone else <laughs> just kind of orbits around the planet, of course, of course. the planet Ian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, believe me, I I think about that kind of stuff sometimes. I, as I'd be writing this, I'd be thinking about. Is it, who's gonna give a shit about these stories? Like, about, like, am I being super self indulgent here? Mm. Like, to think that people are even gonna care, like, about this? But then, like, I'd read them back, and I would try and, I would try and look at it from an outsider's point of view, and then, and then I realized, on in a lot of these stories, I was the outsider, and then brought into the inside, and I, I call them my who the hell let me in here moments. And that's what a lot of this, a lot of my life has been like, how the hell did I get here? You know, Mm -hmm. like how am I in a room with Trent Reznor watching? I'm not going to give the whole details of what the contest is, but (laughs) how am I in a room with Trent Reznor watching a really, what I say is the craziest moment I've ever seen on tour happened in this room with Trent Reznor one night backstage at Madison Square Garden. It involves uh, enemas and a Yes, it cereal. involves enemas, yes. And <laughs> um, it was, uh, you know, it's one of those moments. Like, how how did I get here in my life? Well, everything led up to this moment. Like, and when I started think, thinking about things in, like, that, that kind of a context, I'm like, I think people will be interested in this because it's kind of a fly on the wall, you well, know, it, thing. It, I like, like, for example, the, the Madonna story. And there's right. two of them. But the one I'm thinking is where you actually go to her apartment and right. like, it's like, how does this happen? And the thing that I'm remembering is so, it's, you know, I, I went with uh, Matt Shadows from Avenged and we, we were in New York City and we went to, um, what's the cats from Good Charlotte? The, the, the Benji Madden. Ben, Madden. Yeah, yeah. We go to his house to pick him up and I'm up there and I'm like looking around. It's like, yeah, she's done a really good job with the place. And then I realized like, this is the fucking dude that's married to Cameron Diaz. Oh, that's right. I'm in Cameron Diaz's house, and you're yeah. like, you see, and then I'm like, man, I can just go and steal some of her underwear if I want. <laughs> but like, you know, and I like that about your stories too, because this weird circumstance of events leads you to Madonna's house. Yeah, and then even, and that night, you know, I, I, I mean, I think I get it across pretty well how like kind of blown away I was and. Yeah, I, you know, I've had people say to me, well, who cares about, you know, but I was a fan. Mm. Like, I was a massive fan of hers going in. It's, sure. It's not, like if I didn't care, then none of it, would, I wouldn't have cared. But I was a massive fan. So to suddenly be in her or, orbit was, it was crazy to mm. me. You know, she was like, un, that's unreachable. You know, that's a different world, you know, and... uh and you know, I, of course, I thought she was hot and, and all that. And Looking I, I boobs. talk about it. Yeah, I talk about it in the book. I mean, she, she, 
when she answers the door, she's wearing a see-through top, you know? And it's just like, what the fuck am I going to, what do I do? (laughs) And it just, it was an amazing, crazy, you know, evening that's night long. Tell tell us about the, uh, about the advice that she gave you about the paparazzi and that whole scene. Yeah, we, she, we're about to leave for dinner we're in her apartment. And why were you at her apartment again? Well, I was friends with Guy O'Siri. That's her manager. Yeah, imagine that. Back then, he was—he had just started running Maverick Records. Madonna decided she was going to start her own label, and she picked Guy. I was already friends with Guy, and she picked Guy to uh, be, run her label. And uh, so I was in the city. I believe we were working on Sound the White Noise at the time, and uh, and as Guy was in the city doing something, and, and he called me up and basically just said, uh, what are you doing tonight? And I said to him, well, what am I doing tonight? You know, and And he said, well, let's let's go to dinner we'll pick her up at like six ish and and i'm like her who's her you know hoping and he said madonna and i was like wow but uh yeah so we're at her apartment and and uh, we're getting ready to leave and she said all right well guy knows the drill but we're gonna take the elevator down to the basement that's where my car is with my driver and we get in and then we pull out and you'll notice as soon as we pull out on the street a bunch of cars are gonna pull out and follow us they're just the paparazzi who basically camp out in front of my building all the time so they're going to follow us. So when we get to the restaurant, just get out of the car, head down. Like, don't look around. Don't say anything. Just get out of the car, head down. Just go straight into the restaurant. Like, don't bother. That's what they want. Don't give them any kind of reaction. And, and now, of course, on top of whatever, i already nervous. Now I'm more nervous thinking, like, I'm going to trip Madonna. Like, I'm, like somehow I'm going to screw this up. And I've never been in that scenario before. And, and it was exactly like she said, like, as we were pulling up, like, there were literally like cars pulling in front of our car, like almost to block us in. And, and like 20 dudes are running with cameras flashing and it was insane. And it, it was really kind of aggressive and violent. And I immediately went into like kind of protection mode because Madonna's tiny. She's she really a tiny is. little woman and you immediately want to protect her. You know, your guard goes up and, and, uh, and I was like, God, now, I mean, in a, much smaller way now i understand what sean penn you know was going through all these years especially when he was seeing her right because he's Punching a the bigger dude yeah. than me and maybe back then he was more angry than i was and uh, so i could see why he was wanting to punch those dudes i right. instantly i just wanted to start smashing cameras and we got in, into the restaurant and uh and uh, i did i mean i did kind of push and shove a couple of dudes who were getting in my way i literally felt like i was in a mosh pit <laughs> and um, got in the restaurant. And she was like, oh, good. You, you did good. You did good. You didn't, you know, you didn't react. You didn't get angry. I'm like, oh, no, I'm angry. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. I kind of kept my cool as, be- as best as I Because really, you really feel threatened when all of a sudden there's a whole crowd of dudes literally in your face. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I think I, I go on a tangent there and I tell a story how when Revel was about two years old, um, we were in Beverly Hills and they will follow me around. Like there'll always be one or two dudes that when I'm in Beverly Hills, like over by Nate and Al's or there'll always be one guy who will just see me and just start taking pictures. And I'll always be like, dude, like the Kardashians are probably over there. You're not making any money right, off my right, right, right. TMZ's not putting me on tonight. Yeah. Like, it's just like what you're wasting your time. Right. And, and, uh, and I was holding revel and this guy's just in my face. Right. And I, I was like, dude, I don't care if you take my picture, but, don't take a picture of my son. You know, there's an expectation of privacy and like, I, I don't want 
pictures of my son out there. And he was just being a jerk mm -hmm. and, and wouldn't stop. And, uh, and then I finally snapped and we were like crossing Beverly Drive and I'm yelling at this dude, you piece of shit. Like, you, you know, he's just such an asshole. I asked you nicely and you won't stop. Right. And then, and I, you know, I start swearing at him and then I kind of stop. And then Revel's like, I look at Revel and Revel's kind of looking at me and his eyes are big and he says, uh oh, daddy. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, 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 everything's okay. I just, you know, Everything's okay. He was fine. He, mm -hmm. he didn't start crying or anything. And we get to the other side of the street, and this guy is still taking pictures, and there's this little old woman standing there who had probably just eaten at Nate and Al's, and she saw and heard what was going on, and she, like, gets right up on this guy, and she says, you are a very bad person. <laughs> and he's like, I'm just trying to make a living, man. And yeah. Like, just like... It Damn. makes you realize that with someone like Madonna, like even that's just a little piece of that. I had that last night at the airport with the TMZ guys. Like, you know, what are you gonna, like, nothing to say. Right. But for her, that she has to deal with that every single day, no matter what she does or yeah. where she goes. People who are really in the spotlight, I mean, you know, I, I know that some people have the attitude of, oh, well, you know, they should expect it. They're but no, it's, it's, that doesn't come with the job. Mm -hmm. That's not part of the job to have people like actually aggressively in your face, going out of their way to try and get you to react to them uh, in, in a in a shitty way, right. even to the point of like actually getting the their ultimate goal is for you to hit them. That's their like some of these guys yeah, who are real they jerks, want, right? Because then they sue you. Mm -hmm. I have like plenty of friends who are actors and stuff who have been sued by paparazzi because they claim they oh he, he hit me. Meanwhile, he was walking through and you were in the way, and he bumped into you. That's not, and then they fall on the floor and right. they drop their camera. You know they they pull like the whole like they take a dive like just really like and that's that's what they're trying to do and that's mm. th it does never said that in the job description if right, you're right, famous right, right, you right. have to deal with that yeah it's bullshit you know um and like I said too, another reason why I enjoy the aspects of your book is there are great stories about Madonna that sort of thing. But there's also like a little bit of I, I did this once. Um, actually, you probably know this guy. It's Missy's husband, Robert John. Yeah. So we did a video years ago, and he was wearing this stupid brown leather hat, uh -huh. and I hated that leather hat, so I hid it from him during the shoot. <laughs> and so I wrote about it in the book, and then I kind of went off on this tangent where the the hat came alive and it was attacking me. It became a vampire hat, and I had to fight it off because it to me just was funny. Right. You kind of have that too with with. Uh, beware of the leshy yes and what the what the fuck is that there's a there's a part in your book where you kind of tell a story yes and i'm gonna pour a little bit more coffee and then tell i will tell the story can all i right. stop and yes, pour you coffee can. all right you want some more uh sure please all right we got some coffee so uh let's do the uh, legend of the leshy so the story beware the leshy it, it's based in a true story of me and Robert Trujillo and Whitfield Crane going snowboarding up in uh, Whistler, up in British Columbia. We went on a snowboard trip. And at one point during the trip, we we went skiing like backwards off piste where you're not supposed to go through these, these tree runs because we were, we were looking for really good powder. And we went off on our own into these tree runs. And at some point, Whit and I had gotten separated from Robert. And we came out into this little clearing, and there was this giant rock. Like, it's just a big, giant rock there. And we decided to stop there and wait to see if maybe we would, Robert would either catch up or, and also just to get, get our breath. And uh, we realized when we were standing at this rock that one side, if you went around one way, it was a sheer drop, like probably 40 feet down. And then the other way was the way to get down through the trees. 
and we never found Robert and we were kind of now nervous thinking like, well, what if he gets here and doesn't stop like we did and just goes flying around that side and goes off the cliff. So, uh, we dropped down a little bit further below the rock, figuring this, we'd have a better view and we'd be able to see him. And then eventually, finally we did see him and, uh, we were like screaming his name and got him to stop. And, and, uh, and then literally like we're throwing snowballs, I was throwing snowballs in the direction that he needed to go um, to make sure he went the right way. Because he was like, well, which way? Which? I'm like, just look where I'm throwing. The, you see where the snow is hitting? And, and I'm like, go that way. Don't go the other way. And it, so then after he came down and he saw and and he, he still to this day, he, he talks about how I saved his life. <laughs> and uh, so I always wanted, wanted to be able to tell or write that story I just feel like, well, that's a, sh that's a pretty short story right there. You know, that's it done. Mm -hmm. And I just started thinking about children's books because we read a lot of children's books and, 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 and things like that. And I just transformed it into, it's like, you know, I, I could tell this story, but I'm going to tell it like a children's book story. And, uh, the Leshy is actually a real mythological creature in like, I don't remember if it was Russian or some Eastern block you know mythology there's a forest creature that's like a shapeshifter and uh i can't even remember how i came across the leshy um <laughs> one day but i was like that's it that's perfect the leshy lives in the forest and he's pissed at these three metal heads interlopers yeah. yes and uh and i just took it from there and i decided uh, it, uh, this is my this is me writing a children's book a uh, children's story basically and uh and i had so much fun doing that because it's so different than anything else in the rest of the book yeah. really that in the bathtub pike story about when i was a kid in my grandpa's house and there was a fish <laughs> swimming in the bathtub um that uh but writing the leshy was you know that was my kind of my first like kind of uh, uh, chance at, at fiction even though it's based in a true story i was basically writing a fictional story and and that's what made it so different and and kind of so fun in a, in a different way than telling other tales that are, are true, I really, true I really stories. loved it. I thought it was great because, like, like you said, like, they just such a detour. And at first, I'm not catching what's going on. And then I'm realizing, oh, that he's actually going off in a whole, you know, Robert John's brown leather hat, which right. is like, yes. it makes it just more <laughs> of a fun book to read. Yes. It's not like so straightforward all the time there's these little like right. i also love the uh the, the world's most boring tour story totally true story <laughs> it's like you lost your underwear exactly and then you had to put on another pair because you always get asked what's the craziest thing no one ever asks you what's, what's the, the worst boring yeah. thing that ever happened and literally that day uh, we're at the gig and i couldn't find my underwear i'm like this is kind of funny that like people might find this funny actually i loved it yeah <laughs> there's also and it's very poignant too um Today's is as we're recording this. It's the anniversary of Daryl's Dimebag Daryl's uh, yes. uh, death. His, yes. his murder. Um, you were very close with him. He played on Anthrax Records, and there's a great story in here which you tell during your live shows right. of of Daryl, you know, calling you and pranking you and the Baldini and all that sort of thing. Um, pretty good guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a. Uh... I decided to write that one, at least the first half of it. I decided to write it out like a screenplay because I, I felt like that's what it needed. B because live, again, live I can just tell it and I could tell the story and I could do all – there's all the physicality and dynamics and everything, and it works. But I started writing it, 
and I had written. Just briefly give the synopsis of the story. Uh, it's it's called uh, the name of the story is the conversation, and uh, and um, it's basically Daryl prank calling me. I, I let's not even say prank calling. It's a phone call, a series of phone calls I had with Daryl uh, uh, in the middle of the night, many many moons ago. I'm going to say it was probably like ninety five six ish, something like that. Um, I was in New York City. He woke me up in the middle of the night and uh, and uh, proceeded to keep me up on and off. He had it planned so well because every time we would hang up, he it's almost like he had a camera knowing exactly when I had just fallen back asleep, and then he would call again, <laughs> right? And like be like, "Baldini, did I wake you?" Every time, did I wake you? I'm like, uh, 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 like because every time it was perfect, and I, I don't want to give away too much of the story. But yeah, I decided to write it like a screenplay because I felt like that way you would just come across better from voice to voice and people would kind of understand it better. Because then when I was writing it out just as a story, and then Daryl said, and then I said, it just wasn't. Sure, sure, sure. It just got worked somebody, better he's like He's got this. somebody impersonating uh, some, uh, somebody to, to yes. fool you. Yes. And this guy's going nuts in his house, and it ended up being the guy was impersonating is also not with us anymore, too. Dave from yes. Drowning Pool, right? Yeah, yeah, Dave from Drowning Pool. Um, which in its own way is kind of a spoiler, but mm-hmm. I don't want to give away too much. Something I do want to say, though, that there's how how could I say his name without it blowing it? Um, the guy who think of it like a trailer. It's a movie trailer. You got to read the book. There's a lot of great stories. And here's a little tidbit. Right. But because, well, Daryl was having a party at his house, basically. And uh, Sebastian Bach was there. And Sebastian wasn't, I guess, basically in the best form at the time. And I was very worried about what was going on. I, I was actually very worried about Sebastian mm-hmm. in the moment. And uh, that's all I really want to say. But a- after the fact of this whole thing, I wanted to have a comic book version of this story in I'm the Man. If, if you have my first book there in the hardcover, there's a comic book version of my story of when I first met Lemmy, Lemmy story, yeah. when I got super sick drinking and basically well, you shit your pants. ended up yeah, <laughs> fighting a Nazi with a pants full of poo. Like <laughs> I, uh, when people ask me, what's that story about? That's my one line. They're like, huh? I'm like, it's true. It says That's it all. exactly what happened. Yeah. But uh, I was able to put that in as a comic book. I had the illustrations done by my friend Stephen Thompson. And I also had the whole Daryl story done illustrated and i wanted there to be two comics in that book there was going to be the lemmy one and the daryl one and um i had to get permission from sebastian to use his image because sebastian's face was in it and sebastian knows about this call the conversation from ages ago from when it happened because daryl told him and i told him about it and and i i think for years he wasn't thrilled Hmm. about it and i can't i'm not gonna i don't want to spoil the whole thing but I never, and Daryl never really understood why he would be upset. And when you read the story, you'll understand why he really couldn't, shouldn't be upset. And and at the time when I asked Sebastian to get permission to use his image in this thing, he he, he said no. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I won't use it. And uh, and I've seen Sebastian since. I saw him the other night at Guns N' Roses, and everything's cool. And I just and I'm saying this publicly, like right now on on the air. I just don't want him to ever think that I, I 
have anything but love for him. Mm. You know what I mean? Like in a band together. Yeah. Like I I don't want, I hope Sebastian was like, I hope he's never been bummed on me, Mm -hmm. you know, about what I consider to be this phone call is such an epic moment. Great story. And to, to the fact that if you're a part of this phone call and this story, you should be proud Mm -hmm. that, that Daryl included you in such an epic picked you of all people. And, uh, um, so yeah, I just I just hope Sebastian doesn't have any ill feelings in any way, mm-hmm. you know, towards me because I, obviously I certainly don't towards him in, in any way. Right. So, you know, I just I saw him the other night. Every everything was great. So, mm-hmm. I just I hope because I'm sure once the book comes out, people are probably going to Ask say, about "Hey, it. did you?" read that story that Scott wrote and he knows about it from years ago and it's it's like obviously I said, it's, it's one of the, the centerpieces of your live show yes you know I've heard you tell it many yeah times. and it's only done out of complete love great story because it's an unbelievable yeah. tale great story with a bunch of rockers right yeah. uh, as we wind down here um, another great piece of writing uh, is when you talk about uh, your first Kiss concert and buying the ticket and the, the record store man and all that sort of stuff that, that, that's a great just a great if, if I had to submit that if you had to submit like you know what's your writing like I would submit right. that piece right there because you could put that like in Vanity Fair Thank or you. Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> Thank you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've, I that one was. I, if I'm saying I, I'm saying like that was the most important one to me. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but that's the only kind of real, true autobiographical story in this book. Mm. And, you know, I touch on Kiss in, in I'm the Man, but this kind of really tells the really tells the story of, you know, of the why, like why and how I got onto the path mm-hmm. that I, you know, then stayed on since 1977. I really, really kind of broke it down. And I was trying to give people a look into just a snapshot of. New York City at that time, yeah. and Queens, and the place I grew up in, and taking the train. You know, and- yeah, exactly. The world I lived in at that point in the seventies, and what it was like, and you know, that was my experience. I, I mean, I'm sure kids now in junior high and high school, probably the same shit goes on over, depending on what band shirt you're wearing. You know, mm-hmm. you could be wearing this, and the older kid's gonna be pissed at you for yeah, wearing yeah, it or yeah. whatever. But um, yeah, you know, as Kiss fans, we were definitely. Um, we were definitely downtrodden because we were younger. The, the the older kids wanted nothing to do with it. They only saw Kiss as being a a baby band. And, Kid stuff, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I always would t- tell, like, I had older friends, and I would tell them, I love Led Zeppelin, I love Aerosmith, I, you know, I love Sabbath, I love all that stuff, Pink Floyd, I love all that stuff. But why do you got to be so bummed on <laughs> on what I'm into? You know, like, what do you th- why, why why are you so threatened by right. it? Why do you care? You know, exactly. Why do you care so much? You know, yeah, I get. And then especially in school, like the bullies, like who would then they would actually beat you up for wearing a kiss shirt. And it would be like, why? Like, why? You're bigger and stronger than me. I get it. Like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like I can't I can't do anything. Like, it's funny. Um, Just as a quick kind of a full circle moment. I went and saw the first time I ever saw Anthrax. You were opening for Kiss on the Crazy Nights tour. Right. And uh, my friend bought an Anthrax shirt and gave it to me to hold for him, and it got stolen because he put it down. Uh, I, 
I put it down on the chair or something. Uh-huh. Somebody stole it. It caused a big problem to where our mothers got involved because he said I owed him money, but I didn't know. It's not my fault. So we got in an argument over the anthrax shirt that we bought at the Kiss show. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, have a, I talk about it in my story how my, my friend who was with us, it was a big deal. It was a whole crew of us kids. I mean, we were 13 years old. We took the train into Manhattan and and uh, one friend of mine decided to buy a T-shirt off a guy, you know, a bootleg shirt down in the train station, and the guy just took off with his ten bucks. His and, ten bucks. He started crying. Yeah, and then he started <laughs> crying. And he wanted to go home, and we couldn't let him leave. Right. We're like, you're not leaving because if he goes home, we're all we're all gonna Everyone's get in big in trouble. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we were like, and we're not leaving with you. So so we all like, what are we gonna do? And so we all chipped in a couple of dollars each so he could get another say, shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to tell you the, the quick Paul story. I just asked them when the fires are going on. Paul lives, you know, in right. the area. Sure. And I just texted him to see if he was all right. And he's yeah. like, yeah, he kind of was like, yeah, you know, I, we should be okay. And I was getting freaked out. And I, I called the fire station. And I was like, oh. Like firehouse, and I wanted to say, "Do you mean the firehouse, Paul?" <laughs> but I couldn't say it because, like, he's, the guy's in danger of losing yeah, his, and he's yeah. like, "All right, kiss loser." Like, oh okay, my yeah, God, because he's like, "I know it's get the firehouse," but at the time, I was like, yeah. "It's called the fire station." Yeah, no, it's the firehouse, Paul. You have to call it the firehouse. He has, he said, "Get the firehouse <laughs> on the phone." <laughs> <laughs> you said you had a Gene Simmons free. Is that something you can tell on the air? Um, I'm thinking if I could. Uh, Actually, I can't tell it because okay. it, you give. A, I'll show you. It, it has to do with uh, some artwork. Actually, it doesn't give anything away. We have some artwork for an upcoming thing that's coming out, and uh, with, with Anthrax, like an Anthrax thing. Okay. Yeah, a DVD. Oh, wow. and uh, and there's some artwork that uh, to look at it, you might think it's Kiss in an some image. way, shape, or form. So uh, I uh, I sent it to him and asked him. You know, uh, basically, I said, you know, we're all obviously lifers in the Kiss Army. I don't think I need to explain anymore. We've known each other 30 yeah. years, but um, we're just asking permission, you know, if this is cool. And if not, that's also cool and mm-hmm. we'll go another way. And uh, and he wrote me back, stay tuned, sir. And uh, and then uh, uh, whatever, a couple hours later, I got another email from him saying, um, you're all good. Nah. You know, with a little metal horns emoji. And yeah, I was yeah. just like, thank you. Thank you so much. That's f- uh, f- amazing. <laughs> like, he just, you know, and you hear things about him and, and the, you know, the G- Gene Simmons and money and, and and all this kind of stuff. And he could have written back and said, sure, you know, you have to, it's going to cost sure. this. And, yeah, yeah. and no, nothing like that. That guy's gone above and beyond for me and the members of my band so many times through the years. Like, just been the like amazingly amazingly cool and done things for us that he certainly didn't have to do yeah and it's just it blows my mind because it's f-ing gene simmons i agree it's with like, you on that and he actually <laughs> uh when he when the vault he was doing some press tour and i i he uh, did my podcast again and it's by far one of my favorite episodes the guy's so great like yeah. he's so good yeah, he did my and show like yeah just fun yeah. funny like you know you hear the sides and the stories and i get that but as a dude he's, he's a pretty pretty solid cool he's, guy you know he's as solid as they come as it gets. and uh, he's got an, a, a, a a massive heart yeah exactly so um last little bit here i wanted to talk to you about a uh, mutual hero you even more so because you play guitar about the passing of malcolm young yes who still super underrated as a not as a player amongst players but to to the typical fan yeah they don't know don't realize how 
huge and amazing and integral Malcolm Young is sure. to ACDC and to rock and roll. No, to the average person, you know, they know ACDC. Oh, it's the guy in the shorts. Yeah. Maybe they know his name. Maybe they know his, his name is Angus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they had a big bell on stage. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah to, to the, but, you know, to anyone who plays in a band and pretty, I, I would – I would hope to say pretty much anyone who's listened, really listened to hard rock, and, and certainly if they play guitar, they know, they know Malcolm. They know what he's contributed to music for since 1974, right, or something like that. So I can't say enough. You know, there's a couple of guys for me that that mean that much when it comes to playing influence let's say on who i became as a musician number one would be malcolm number two would be iomi Mm -hmm. like those those two would be the biggest as far as my playing goes um because malcolm strictly rhythm and iomi mostly you know even though he plays lead but sabbath is all about the the riffs and the rhythm and his his style of of playing and the way he played riffs those two guys and it also also because those were the bands that as a kid I sat and I just learned the songs. I sat with the vinyl and I played the songs and I would learn the chords and then I'd get to the next song and I'd learn the chords and I would never stop to learn the leads because that would take way I would try I tried and I was like, This takes too long. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take me four days to <laughs> right, figure right. this out. So in the meantime I could learn the rest of the album. And that just is what got into my head, the chords of the song before I even knew what anything meant when I was 11 years old. This is what the song is. I could play the song now. I know the chords. That's what I cared about. I could sit down on a guitar and play the song. Mm-hmm. Someone else will play the lead. Mm-hmm. I'm playing the song. And uh, yeah, that's how you are as a player to this day. Yeah. When you talk about great rhythm players, you're always mentioned you and James, right. uh, Rudolph Shankar, sure. and Malcolm. Those are like the true rhythm guitar players of rock and roll. And Shankar, uh, well, Shankar, Keith yeah, Richards. Rudolph, ama- amazing. Yeah. But for me, Malcolm was really the, more so than Iomi in that his right hand, well, and Iomi's a lefty, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But Malcolm's right hand is so percussive, the way he plays banging on that thing just banging the strings so percussive and yes acdc's music and sound is obviously so different than anthrax's because whereas as open as his playing is and banging on it mine's the opposite of that it's very much closed and tight and palm muting and you know the alternating and the down picking but i started out as this guy just bam 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 and i incorporated that into my down picking and my alternating and all of that stuff. And that's what I think made me the player I became and, and, and I am because I, there's such an energy. There's such an energy in it. There's so much, I've put so much power uh, into it. I'm not just pussyfooting mm-hmm. those notes. I'm not just tapping the pick on the strings. Um, I'm pounding it. I have such a heavy percussive hand and that's because of Malcolm mm-hmm. because I was emulating him for so many years, just his exactly how he was playing. I still to this day love watching live Let There Be Rock when oh, they when Angus God. solos for the you know eight minutes. Banana, banana. Anybody that doesn't think ACDC is the greatest rock and roll band, if you play any instruments at all, try and do that. Yeah, it's it's next. It's impossible. He he just he just knew he knew what was right for the song, and you know people 
don't know. Maybe people know. I don't know. But he was the main songwriter yeah. too, the main riff writer. Yeah. I mean, Angus all talks those about riffs, it. man. Angus talks about it all the time. It's not like it's a secret. You could I read it. You could read this interview with Angus where he, he was asked about Back in Black, and he he said Mal was sitting there. He's like, "Hey, I've got this. I got this idea. What do you think?" And he just, you know, bump, bada bump, bada bump. It's just like in anyone else's hands, you'd be like, probably. <laughs> That's Come kind on. of boring. That's it? Yeah. What is that? That's nothing. But in Malcolm's hands, it's back in black. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's insane that yeah. he just had such a power and a mastery over chords. Like, that. and there's there was never anyone like him before, and there will never be anyone again after. Um, people think it's easy. People mm-hmm. think what they do is easy uh, because it sounds, it doesn't sound as technical as a lot of other rock or metal but it's harder to do right than probably anything else. Agreed, times a thousand. Because it's all it's all feeling. You, you got a, a great Malcolm tattoo uh, on your arm. Did you ever get a chance to meet him? Never met him. Yeah. No, never got to meet him. Or or Angus. After all, that's all so these crazy. Years, after all crazy. these years, you never would have seen only, him somewhere. The only guy I met in that band was years ago. I met Brian, and uh, and I met Stevie Young, and I've met Chris Slade mm. at the Garden that right. night. Right, 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 right. But uh, no, I never met either Young brother. Um, never was even in like the same room. We've never even played on, not even on a festival the same day, let's say in Europe or somewhere. We've never even been on like the same festival on different days. That's insane. Like we've never, never years in all plus. those years. Yeah, I know. Never like being a big time band and never crossing. Yeah. Paths. I've told our agent in Europe, John Jackson on multiple occasions, please one be someday like, you know, before we're done or they're done, we we have to play together, mm. and he's tried. He almost he, they thought they had they thought they had ACDC for um, um, a Sonosphere in in the UK two years ago or something, and then it didn't happen. He was like, that would have been you would have been there, you would have been on that day. I was like, God damn it! Do you think they'll do a record with a- uh, Axel? I I think so. Yeah, I, I absolutely. We think were so. there. How we great there. was that show? Uh, I've I haven't stopped talking about it. For me. I think I could safely say it's the best rock show I've been to, and I, I, I don't remember when I saw a better. I, it was, it, was it amazing. blew my mind because you know you and Charlie were there, and I, you know, you guys are. I'm not going to say you're musical snobs, but I know you guys take your ACDC very, very seriously. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder what Scott and Charlie think about this because I think this is great. And when I saw you guys, you're like, that's the best ACDC show I might have ever, ever seen. Ever. And I was like, the validation, like, yes. oh, I, I'm right. This was ever. good. Look. I love Guns N' Roses, and uh, mainly Appetite, but I love Guns N' Roses. But when I heard Axel was going to fill in, I, I'll admit, I was not on board mm-hmm. when I first when I heard it on paper. Right. I was like, no, no, I, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't want this to happen. It's bumming me out. And then you start hearing all the stuff about Brian, and I was kind of like, man, this is a bummer. And then I saw a clip on YouTube, I think, of him singing Riff Raff with ACDC, with Axel singing. And I just stopped me dead on my tracks. Just the fact they're doing riff rap. Yeah, for exactly. And I was <laughs> like, all right, I haven't heard it that good since a live version with Bon Scott. Mm-hmm. Like, that's unbelievable. Like, that's unbelievable. And then, yeah, I find out Axel's a massive ACDC fan. And then I find out we're going to get to go to this show. And I couldn't have been more excited to see it and then you see the show and yeah i'll say it best acdc show i've ever seen Mm. best possibly the best rock show 
I've ever seen that and night. That's, and was that's what really the special. Entire different band. That's what I love about it. Yeah. Like, I know Chris Slade. And they rehearsed for six months, dude. Yeah, six months in Burbank. It was every day. You know, and people people could say, "Oh, there's no way. There's no way." I'm telling you, I was in that room, and I banged my head for two and a half hours. <laughs> We had the night off. We were in the middle of an yeah. Anthrax tour, and we were just lucky enough to have that night off, and we were close enough to New York. I think we came in from Pittsburgh, and we had the day off in the city, and we had to go to that show. And, I mean, Anthrax shows at 90 or, you know, 90 minutes or hour 45. I had banged. I worked harder at ACDC <laughs> banging yeah, my head yeah, than yeah. I even did two and a half hours. <laughs> me, Revel, right next yeah. to me. Norman Reedus right in front of us, just banging our heads like <laughs> lunatics. And Axel was perfect. Mm-hmm. He was note perfect. All the Bond, all the Brian, sang the shit out of it. Their set list was unbelievable. I, I, I can't I, say enough about it. I find that Brian sang the Bond songs because he had to. It's his gig. Right. Whereas I feel Axel uh, was a Bond fanatic. Oh, absolutely. And he's got the range of Brian in 1980 and yes. the swagger of Bond Scott. Yes. And you could tell that right off the bat he knew his place because when he wasn't singing, he was back at the amps with Stevie and Cliff and let Angus do It was do the his Angus thing. show. Yeah. And it, and, was... and it really always has been the Angus but, show. But, you know, I just saw Guns N' Roses last week and uh, he was just as... Mm-hmm. Mellow, he learned in a the lot. background yeah. as he was at that ACDC show. When he wasn't singing, he would take yeah. a step back and let Slash and Richard kind of. You I know, think run that the helped show. him as a, as a singer and as a performer and as a probably as a I don't know the word you would use as a businessman to be more professional. Mm-hmm. You know? It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing, and uh, I can only hope. I I've been hearing rumors. Mm-hmm. You know, gun, the Guns and Roses thing. You know, that's this cycle will wrap up at some point. And I, I mean, I'm hearing rumors that yeah. once the Guns N' Roses is, is done for now, hopefully there's going to be an announcement that ACDC is making a record and, and they're doing a tour. Last question. What's your favorite ACDC song? Down Payment Blues. Oh, nice. I would go Riff Raff. <laughs> riff Raff's my favorite riff. Okay. But as a song, uh, Down Payment Blues overall. Surprised you guys never favorite. covered it. Um, I, I don't want to. It's hard. Yeah, we would never. Yeah, it's hard. I, just, call. I don't want to. Good call. It would never. Like yeah. why? Yeah. You know. There's certain. Songs. I can even say that. You know. I, I. I'm supposed. Some people might listen and say, "Well, then why'd you cover this song? You ruined that one too." <laughs> but, uh, but there's just something for me about Down Payment Blues that's untouchable yeah. to me. It's it shan't shan't be touched. Yeah. 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 Thanks, dude. You're welcome. All right, Scott's new book, Access All Areas, Stories from a Hard Rock Life, is out now and available at Amazon and all the usual places you buy books. So many great stories in it, a couple favorites that we didn't get to, the time Anthrax and Metallica broke into Kirk Hammett's house to play music in Kirk's home studio. Uh, well, Kirk was home upstairs. Yeah, really funny story. I also love Scott Ian's Slayer vocabulary test. That's all I'm going to say about that. Pick up the book and you'll find out what I mean. And go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and you'll find out what I mean about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea being one of the best values you'll ever find. We set sail October 27th from Miami all the way to the Bahamas and back to Miami. Some people think I'm just going to leave you in the Bahamas. I'm not going to do that. We don't leave you there. There's still a lot of good cabins left at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. 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 Common for as little as $150. You can uh, hold your cabin, reserve your cabin, and once you book, remember everything is included in the booking price. All the food, all the activities, all the live podcasts, stand up comedy shows, meet and greets, concerts, everything in between, it's all covered in the price of your cabin. Only things you pay for are drinks and the gambling, if that's what you're into. If not, it's all for free. And you'll be able to hang out on the ship 
with all these incredible guests, our host, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Remember, you will be hanging out with them because there's nowhere to go. It's a cruise ship. There's nowhere to hide. They will be out. If they go get something to eat, you'll see them. SoCal Val, Special Cruise Director, Mick Foley, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Ray Mysterio, Raven, Cyrus and Paul Lazenby from Killing the Town versus Conan, Disco Inferno, and Shane Helms from Keeping It 100. Beyond the Darkness will be there telling some scary tales. Tim Dennis and Dave Schrader. Colt Cabana and Marty DeRosa doing the Unprofessional Wrestling Show. That is hilarious. Speaking of hilarious, how about this for a trio of hilarious comedians? Brad Williams, Ron Funches, Jim Brewer going to make you laugh your asses off. Then Jim's going to rock you with the loud and rowdy. Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons are going to rock you. King is going to rock you. The Stir from Atlanta, Georgia is going to rock you. Dave Spivak Project, you heard him and his music right here in Talkers Jericho. Go check out his new video for uh, Get Out of My House on YouTube now. The Darlings of Rock and Roll, the Cherry Bombs. Shoot to Thrill will be their ACDC cover band. Blizzard of Ozzy will be their Ozzy Osbourne cover band. Busted Open Radio will be uh, presiding over the festivities. Dave LaGreca, maybe Bubba uh, Bully Ray will be there. Bubba Dudley, I don't know. And of course, the Pièce de Résistance Ring of Honor presenting the Sea of Honor Tournament aboard the ship matches will be happening in the middle of the ocean and the winner of the sea of honor tournament gets a ring of honor world title shot in the future and the young bucks will be there villain marty skirl will be there cody Rhodes will be there adam page will be there the entire bullet club plus uh, the briscoe brothers dalton castle frankie gazarian uh chris daniels jay lethal uh, delirious uh, so many others are coming up cody's wife brandy Rhodes will be there we got a huge huge name coming up over the next uh, probably the next week or so Maybe the biggest name in wrestling today that is not in the WWE. I'll leave it at that. So lots of great stuff coming. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and make it happen now. Also, don't forget to go, go to ButImChrisJericho.com to see Season 2 of the critically acclaimed hilarious comedy series starring me. Go check out the Painless video on YouTube as well. That's rocking. So many cool things going on. Uh, I'm very excited, as you can tell, and even more excited this Wednesday. Biff Biffer from Saxon is coming here. Biff's got a lot of great stories. We toured with Saxon in 2013, uh, one of the greatest British heavy metal bands of all time. The leader, Biff Bifford, will be here on Wednesday. So in the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah, boy, all right, yeah, boy. <laughs>